0: In the U.S. alone, more than 1.7 million people are diagnosed with cancer each year. Millions more are impacted as they watch someone close battle this disease. Shaking Cancer is an effort to tell the stories that counter the effects of this relentless and unforgiving disease. This is the Shaking Cancer Podcast. Bob Ritter was one of the first names that came to my mind from... The experiences that I had of talking with Bob over the years, uh, in different forms and fashions for work, and the times where we had opportunities in the community to talk to each other, uh, from my time when I lived in Central New York and in the Finger Lakes, uh, Bob, it's great to see your face. Number one, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Greg. You too. Um, so, you know, with under the umbrella of cancer, you've had so much that's led to you teaching, being of voice, being someone that's been a reliable resource, being a leader. I probably could have you fill this whole time just talking about your experience and, and sort of what brings you under the umbrella of, of cancer. But um, tell me just a little bit about your background and what sort of brought you to the experiences that, that you had over the years.
1: Sure. Um, I, I became involved in the cancer world because I was diagnosed with breast cancer and it's now been almost 25 years. Hard to believe it's, uh, I know, it it sort of startles me to think it's been that long. Sure. So I've been involved in breast cancer, particularly for a lot of years. Um, I worked at the Cancer Resource Center of the Finger Lakes for many years. I was the director for several years. Um, I've also served on national panels in terms of breast cancer, have a particular interest in male breast cancer, and I semi-retired a couple years ago from the Cancer Resource Center, but now I work part-time at Cornell University, and my focus is connecting cancer researchers and students with people in the community who have cancer. Some wow. kind of the, the bridge between, between the academic and practical w- worlds. Sure. So, it,
0: your experiences, you know, driven, of course, by you, what's happened to you, um, and that's a huge difference for you and I, um, you know, never diagnosed, um, certainly a history of it in my family. So, I'm aware of everything, but a completely different experience, number one, in, in that regard. But I would say that you, in all the times that I've talked with you, I've never heard you say a negative word related to it, even though I'm sure you've had the negative words and those (laughs) moments in your life. Sure. Um, How have you done that over the years? That's,
1: I know it's a loaded question, but how have you done that? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, apparently I think it's just due to my own personality. Mm -hmm. I'm generally a pretty upbeat person Um, and I view life that way and, you know, cancer doesn't make you different, but sometimes it makes you more like who you are. It's almost (laughs) like life on steroids. Sure. So, and, and and also too, you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking to people about cancer all the time and I learned that everyone does it differently and you can't tell them how to do it but you need to help them find their own way.
0: You've found a way, though, to, to do that comfortably, and you know that there's people who don't do that comfortably, right? I mean, there's there's certainly the people who just can never understand the scope of what this this word is
1: and what this disease is and the impacts of it all around them. Sure, and partly that's practice. It, it's like a lot of things mm-hmm. like, you know, public speaking that, you know, a lot of people are terrified of it, but if you practice it and do it over and over, it gradually gets easier. And now I've talked to so many different people with cancer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm used to it, I don't flinch. And also, I, I, I learn, you know, the biggest thing is just to listen. And, you know, that, that's the biggest mistake that friends make. You know, if you have a friend with cancers, Sometimes people are much too prone to offer advice, and I'm mm-hmm. always saying, "You know, don't give advice. If people want advice, they'll ask for it." <laughs> <laughs> but the that, most, yeah,
0: yeah. He, it's probably a lesson that works in in everyday life, but yeah, certainly yeah, in, in 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 this space. Now, so y- you you say that, and it's funny because I've often found myself making that mistake, and the mistake comes in two forms for me. And I I would love to hear your thoughts on this. The first mistake is that it comes because I'm just being pushy in a way, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, you know, forcing my own thoughts or my own whatever into that conversation. And the second is sort of this effort to try and make things as just make things better, just to try and fix things or to try and help in some way. um, Because that's way that you cope with this and it seems like there's very different ways that you approach that in sort of offering that advice instead of just that
1: listening piece Mm -hmm. it is and i think that's a a person's natural inclination is to be helpful and you want to share what you know um but you know what's good for you isn't necessarily good for someone else you know some some people want to go to a major hospital to have treatment other people would rather stay, you know, near closer to home. Mm -hmm. And some people want to be very aggressive and some people don't. And, you know, there, there really is no right way to go through cancer.
0: What's always been difficult for me to fathom is that there is no playbook. Um, there is no right way. What is the, what is the, What's the first step is the toughest thing for me. I mean, you know, I, I've heard people who have said, um, you know, when I heard of a diagnosis in my family or I heard my own diagnosis, um, I froze and I've heard people who have had that moment where they've said, okay, I'm going to go to, um, the, the clinic that I found online, that's in Denmark that I know is number one for this. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to live there for 20 years and figure this out. Um, And there's no first step in, in a lot of these cases. And, and that's probably overshooting it a bit because there probably is a first step, which is assess what's going on and figure out what the second step should be. Um, but that seems to be the difficult thing for people is I don't know how to take that
1: first step. Oh, sure. And, and sometimes the first step is literally to catch your breath. Yeah. You know, for, for in most cases, cancer is not a medical emergency. You know, you you have a little bit of time to sort through your options, gather information, and people should not feel pressured to decide things right away. You know, there are a few exceptions, but there there really are the exceptions. And I always encourage people to pause to do some research. You know, some people are comforted by research and information. I I I am. I like to know what's out there. I like to you know, search and find information that that helps me, helps give me some context. It's also very helpful to talk to other people with a similar cancer. Um, But then I also encourage people to listen to their gut. You know, sometimes, you know, there's no right or wrong or no best way, but you gather the information and think through, I I sometimes ask people, "Well, which decision would let you sleep better at night? And that helps people.
0: So in your experiences, and in your experiences, um, certainly at the Cancer Resource Center, certainly in your experiences, just talking in the community, I mean, you're, you're in a community in, in the Ithaca area, that is a relatively small community compared to Manhattan, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, where you're going to see people and you're going to talk to people. I mean, there's been times where I've bumped into Bob when I lived in Ithaca. And it's, there's no rhyme or reason why I would bump into Bob. It's just because it's a small community and you, and you wind up, you know, bumping into someone, but you've heard, I'm sure the variety of stories and the variety of experiences from people. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you've had people who have told you absolutely nothing. And I'm sure you've had people who have told you way too much. (laughs) I, I, you know, and, and my guess would be that I probably am one of those people who's like, I, I always skew way too much, I think, when, when I have those conversations. But um, what I mean, for, for, there's no right or wrong way with that either. But I'm sure there, there is sort of that end point where it's okay. So now that we either don't know anything, or we know everything, that next step is assess, take
1: a deep breath, and let's figure out what we do next. Mm hmm. That's true. And, and, in. Information is helpful to a point at some point too much information doesn't necessarily help. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, P I always encourage second opinions and sometimes a third opinion. Some people might get, you know, fifth or sixth opinions and (laughs) that isn't usually that helpful. So you have to figure out, you know, what's the right amount of information? Where do you find the, the, the basic gestalt of what's going on? And at some point you need to, you need to move forward. And usually the most stressful time for people is before you make decisions about treatment. Once you decide this is what I'm going to do. Most people settle down and they have less stress at that point. You get into a rhythm and you move forward. When you see
0: how people react with what's happening in their day-to-day lives as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I know the example for my mom was that there was always a feeling in my mind. And I mean, we had talked about this briefly at times. If she wasn't working, she was just going to have too much quiet time and too much time around to think about what was... So for her, working was one of those things that kept her going and kept her body going. She had also always joked that if she... Wasn't working. She didn't have the health insurance, and if you had thirty thousand dollars for a chemo treatment, she would be more than happy to not go to work every day. But that was sort sure. of her. I, you know, I think she said that tongue in cheek, but she said that as a way of sort of also saying to people, "What else am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to just sit around and think about this all day? No, I'm going to go about my life, and I'm going to fight this as I as I as I go along." But I, you know, to me. You see those different reactions from people, but it seems like people certainly react in a much different way with all the things around them. So some people have kids, some people have, um, you know, other obligations in their life that they just don't want to give up as well, but you balance that. And that's the tough part. I guess that's my question to you is that balance between making it a priority, but also not just treating it like a cold that you're just going to, okay, I'll just take some medicine and I'll be done with it in a couple of days.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, people are so different. Some people absolutely like to go on as much as possible and maintain the work and, and do their normal stuff because it gives them that that routine and it's easier. Other people really like to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, another big factor is the cancer itself. I mean, it's such a wide range of diseases and some cancers um don't affect you all that much. I mean, this, it's, it's usually curable and treatment is, is not too awful, and you have treatment and you move on. Other cancers are much more serious. Um, so, you know, there, there's a whole range of pathologies. And also, we're all wired differently in terms of what, what brings us comfort and how much stress we want to have. Um, also, people differ in terms of how much they want to share with others. You know, some people will share everything with strangers. You know, in in, in the supermarket, yes. other people, you know, keep are very very tight lipped. And you know, for me, it was much easier to be open and tell people what it was. Um, but some people are much more private, and and also I find people have the right to change their mind. They might begin. With a certain path and be very private, but two months later they realize they want to talk. So I always, I always let people know, you know, you can change your mind. Um, And also the same thing is true for treatment decisions. Sometimes people want to be very, you know, alternative. But sometimes they'll change their mind after three months. So I, I I don't want people to feel like they're they they box themselves into a corner.
0: In in your mind, does that help when people are able to share those stories and they're able to to do that with some form, any level of comfort, even if it forces them to step just a little bit outside the box, not way over to the left or right outside the mm-hmm. box or north or south, but really just a little bit outside the box, even if, if that's the case.
1: I think sharing the stories is very, very important and very helpful, and it, it helps maintain your equilibrium. Um, also, when you're in treatment, at first you're typically very, very busy. Sometimes when you finish treatment and you're trying to transition back to your regular life, that's a time that support groups are especially helpful because you want to talk to other people who've been through it. Um, it gives you again, that, 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 that sounding board that you really need. And, and usually when you're in treatment, um, you're just so focused and you don't have time to think about things. And when you finish, sometimes you ask, well, well now what? And that's a scary time.
0: From your personal experience and what you've learned over the years and what just from your experiences in that professional space compared to that personal space, did any of that change for you? Did, did those perspectives change for you and, and you learned and
1: I imagine grew um, when it came to cancer? Well, I remember when I was first diagnosed, I was teaching at Ithaca College okay. and I remember thinking, well, should I tell my students? What should I share? But then I realized, you know, maybe I'll lose my hair or something will happen. So I needed to prepare them. So I told my classes what was going on. And I was really kind of struck because the students were fascinated. And even the kids in the back row who had their baseball caps pulled down would perk up and listen very intently And they were very engaged, very, very supportive. And I'm sure when those students look back on that class, you know, 20 plus years ago, they probably don't remember much about the content of the class, but they probably remember my going through cancer. And and that's a good thing.
0: And I would imagine that that would be something that if you brought Um, you brought somebody from another planet down to earth and you were trying to explain cancer to them. And you were explaining the, the, the gravity of the situation, right? You were explaining to them what this is, what this disease is. And then you tried to explain to them the nuances of how it can actually bring people together. That would be a strange connection to make.
1: It is. I mean, cancer is this common denominator that brings people together. And i saw that in the class. And, you know, even today, I facilitate a a weekly men's breakfast club and we meet actually by Zoom these days. But we always have 15 guys there, um, all different professions, retired, you know, younger. Um, And I wouldn't know any of these guys if we didn't all have cancer. Mm. And I actually love that it brings us together. You, you make friends. It's like this immediate family that you meet and people sort of understand what you're going through. And it's a really, really strong connection.
0: Yeah. You start at this, this level. And, you know, I, I, so I mentioned to people, my background and I mentioned, you know, you know, both my, my parents, um, you know, passing away from cancer. And, and I, when I mentioned that, it almost becomes because you hear your own voice, right? So you hear you hear your voice and you hear your story, and after a while, you sort of, you know, for me, I guess I get sick of my own story. I get sick of telling my own story. I want to hear other people's stories. I want to hear what that is. So when sure. I say it, I, I imagine it's like a like a musician playing the same song for the five thousandth time, but they don't really want to continue to play the song you just you want to kind of do something else that's that's sort of the space that I get into with with telling that but I also know that that is a piece of me and people need to know that about me if we go to sort of that level of of telling that story um it's certainly not what I lead with but I I almost enjoy telling people that because it's a piece of me and I get to talk about my mom and
1: dad which is something that I like doing too Uh uh-huh Good. Yeah. I really enjoy sharing my cancer, cancer story with people. And, you know, if, if I'm at some party and conversation dies down, I'm not above saying, you know, I had breast cancer and I had a mastectomy and it's, it's a good conversation starter. (laughs) (laughs) So when, and in your,
0: in your experience and in your personal experience, did you have moments where you, um, really thought that this was something that was going to either take your life or was something that was going to change your life drastically forever and ever and ever? I mean, you, you really thought that or, or did you have just moments where you thought to yourself, OK, I need to tackle this and then go on with what my goals
1: and aspirations are? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was diagnosed, my instinct was that this was going to be an aggressive cancer and would probably kill me in a couple of years. And, you know, but when I saw the statistics, you know, thing odds were on my side is about an 80% chance of survival, which was pretty good. Of course, that's also a 20% chance of dying from cancer, which, you know, especially when you're young, is kind of scary. Sure. Um, It, it did, it completely changed my time horizon Uh because before cancer, I thought much more long-term, you know, what will I be doing in 20 or 30 years And after cancer, I began to focus much more on, you know, this year and next year and had a much greater presence orientation. And and that was really good. I really actually appreciate that.
0: It's mind boggling to me at times when I think about that, that cancer can actually make you stronger in a way. Um, It makes so many people weaker in so many different ways. Um, Those who are diagnosed, those around those who are diagnosed, um, but it makes it makes you stronger in, in, in a, in a lot of ways. And in a lot of regards.
1: It does lots of people say, you know, refer to the, the silver lining of their cancer, Yeah, it makes them appreciate life. It takes, makes them not take things for granted and it makes them kind of go outside and just be aware of your environment and the beauty and the friends and the family. And it makes you hold things. It makes you, it makes you aware that things are very precious.
0: So when you talk to people and including the students who you work with, when you talk to people, what is the, what is the thing that stands out to you? What's that one thing that stands out to you? That's, is, is there a common theme? Is there something that you always hear? Is there uh, a common theme among this common, uh, you know, word and this common disease that so many of us are impacted by?
1: Um. Well, one, it's, it's very scary. Yeah especially when you, you begin some, sometimes I use the, the metaphor of cancer is like going into a, a, into a foreign country where you don't understand the language or the customs and you just plop down and you have to figure out this world. Yeah. And that's re- really true. At first, you're just overwhelmed because so much is happening. It's all, the language is new. Um, you meet all these people and so much happens and it's a scary uncertain world. Um, But I think one thing I've learned about people going through treatment is that most people say it was more manageable than they expected. Mm. And that's kind of encouraging because everyone's scared at first. But as I mentioned, when you begin treatment, things get a little bit easier and you realize that you can do this and you, you learn to live with uncertainty You know, everyone, you know, most people going through chemotherapy have some side effects, but you don't know which side effects you'll have. And, you know, most of the side effects that people worry about are things like nausea, which is much less common than it used to be. Hmm. Fortunately, we're better with drugs to prevent things like that. Um, People are often surprised that fatigue is probably the most universal side effect that just kind of literally knocks you on your butt. Yeah. And you have to adapt to that. And the mental fatigue of
0: it too, of having to, um, you know, I probably that's the, the question that I really should not let you go without asking you that you probably, there's probably days where you wake up and you wanna talk about baseball or <laughs> music or whatever. And you don't wanna talk about this, I'm sure. And that probably ranges from when you were first diagnosed to where you are today, because that's mm-hmm. just natural, right? You don't want to talk about the same thing all the time. That's what sort of where most people, I guess, land. Uh, generally true,
1: generally yeah. true. But I, I have found that I actually love talking to people about their cancer. It's such there's so much rich, richness of life in their stories about cancer because w- when you're talking about cancer, you, you lose any sense that you're different or special, We're kind of like all in this together and there's no pretension. So people are very honest about where they are um, and it kind of focuses you on the important things. So it, it's, it's interesting. I really don't get tired of talking about cancer and it, it's just I mean there's wonderful stories and it's it's a real honest way to interact with people
0: there is that element right it doesn't cancer doesn't care what house you live in cancer doesn't care what position you have in your company cancer doesn't care if you have 15 children or no children cancer will find you if it wants to find you
1: at times right yeah and and sometimes it, it's purely random and I think when I was younger, I thought I could control most things. You know, I was young and strong and thought, well, if I work hard, I can control things. And, but with cancer, you realize a lot of things are out of your control. Mm-hmm. And it takes some time to wrap your head around that.
0: Well, your spirit around all of this has always uh, been something that has shown through for me um, in talking with you and um, talking about either. Uh, brief fundraisers or events that are coming up or listening to you tell your story um, has always been something that has has come through I guess just finally I would ask you for that one thing that it, okay so I'm listening and I'm thinking okay I have this impact in my life or it's been something that I've thought about or um and, and not that one like piece of advice that's like the, Bob Ritter is finally gonna give us the one thing that everybody has been looking for. And we, this is the guy who we've been, we've been looking for all these years, but um, maybe that just like that one nugget to take away from that conversation about sort of the overall of it. Mm-hmm. You have that advice and I think you've given it, but, but to reiterate that for, for anyone listening.
1: I think the one thing that I would say is that you are not alone. When you first get diagnosed, sometimes you feel isolated, and you feel like you're the person. But in the in the reality, cancer is everywhere. You know, there are more than 16 million survivors in, in the U.S. right now, so there are lots of us. And it's really important to reach out to other people with cancer, to cancer support organizations, and to connect with others. And there, there really is strength in connection.
0: Bob, I really appreciate it. It's been great to talk to you. Um, and hopefully we'll talk again soon because I think there's so much more for us to talk about and so much more of it um, you know, in that message. And, and as we continue to have these conversations, um, there's so much more to discuss. So thank you.
1: My pleasure and I look forward to talking again.
0: This has been the Shaking Cancer Podcast. Follow us at Shaking Cancer on Facebook and Twitter. And we are Shaking Cancer at Instagram. Reach out to us to share your stories at ShakingCancer at gmail.com. By sharing our stories, we are Shaking Cancer.